Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicles first ever personal finance podcast. I'm Moira O'Neill and joining me in the studio today is my colleague, personal finance writer, Kate Bealey. Hello. We're also delighted to have special guests, Adrian Lowcock, Head of Investing at AXA Wealth. Hello. And Jason Hollands, Managing Director, Business Development and Communications at Tilney Best Invest. Hello there. Well, today we're going to be talking about ISAs, Individual Savings Accounts, which are the UK's best-loved tax break. There's been a big rise in the annual ISA limit to £15,000 for this tax year, and it goes up to £15,240 for next tax year. And this, of course, should make it easier for diligent savers to join the exclusive ISA Millionaires Club. So far, we know of around 80 ISA millionaires, but we think there are probably plenty more than that around. Now, to become an ISA millionaire, you're going to have to invest your full ISA allowance every year. And one estimate I've seen is that if you got annual growth of 5% after charges, you could probably do this in about 28 years. But we all want to do better than that and get there earlier. So can we? And what investments uh, should we be picking this year to maximise our chances of getting there? Now, Adrian and Jason have made some recommendations for fund tips, which will appear in this week's Investors Chronicle. Now, Adrian, can I start with you? You picked out for us Threadneedle Global Select. Well, what's what's good about that fund? Um, Yeah, so Threadneedle Global Select is managed by William Davies. Um, It's basically a fundamental stock picking uh, fund, and that that is quite critical. Being a a good stock picker is how you're going to beat the market. and uh, he's very skilled in that area, but he, he also combines this uh, with a with a basically a good understanding of the global macroeconomic trends. That combination is quite rare. Uh, he runs the fund on an unconstrained approach, um, which allows him to be more more nimble and more flexible than many of his peers. This is a good global diversified fund, a very good core fund for your portfolio, because it's very important to make sure uh, you are diversified to get a good consistent return. Okay. What kind of returns has he delivered? So over the last 10 years, from February 2005, it's returned 137% as that fund. So that's a pretty impressive return over that 10-year period. Great stuff. Um, The other one you picked out, Adrian, was Newton Real Return, which many of our readers might be familiar with because it's been on our select list for a while. Yeah, manager Ian Stewart is a veteran of the fund management industry, very experienced. Uh, His real focus is on capital preservation. And the real point of this is that uh, to make money, you must you know, first avoid losing money. So preserving your capital is absolutely critical to getting a, a, a large portfolio and trying to grow it to an ISA millionaire status. Uh, so he focuses uh, on, on capital preservation and then reducing a real return after inflation over the longer term. Portfolio is built on two parts, a core element which consists of UK and international shares and corporate bonds. The manager takes a long-term view, which is taken with this part of the portfolio. Around this core, he then uses cash government bonds and derivatives to boost returns and reduce risk. Uh, the fund is flexi- flexible and the manager is very pragmatic, so we like this fund for long-term returns. Has he ever lost investors' money? Uh, I think it, the fund rarely does. I think there are periods where, because he's been running money for such a long time, mm-hmm. yes, he, there are periods where it's underperformed. But these funds rarely underperform by very much and usually bounce back quite quickly. Okay. Now, we have a lot of investors who are interested in generating income from their ISA. And Jason, I know you've been you've been looking at this and I mean a lot of our readers like investment trusts. Mm. Now, what do you think about the income options there? 
I think it's really tough if you're an investment trust fan to find anything that's offering a decent yield at the moment that isn't trading at quite a big premium to net asset value. And why? Because, of course, income is in short supply in an age of low interest rates and quantitative easing. So they're simply in demand. But one I think worth considering is the value in the income investment trust. Now, that is a hybrid investment trust. So most of the portfolio is invested in equities offering a decent yield, typically mid and smaller sized companies uh, that are picked because the managers believe they're cheap. But also a small proportion of the portfolio, around about a quarter actually, is invested in commercial property. And equity income shares, high yielding shares and property has been in a lot of demand from investors over the last year. You've seen a lot of money coming into property funds. Most property investment trusts are trading at premiums. This is trading at a little bit of a discount. The yield is about 3.5%. Um, and over five years, uh, the total return has been about 90%. So that's it's kind of a decent income from a mixed portfolio and, and, and a bit of a bargain as well. That's right. Yeah. And I think also the approach, on, as the name implies, of this trust is um, there's a very strong dis- discipline of finding things that the managers believe are undervalued, whether that's shares or whether, in fact, the properties it tends to invest in tend to be a little bit more in secondary locations. And if you take the view that the economy um, is picking up, but maybe the stock market looks a bit expensive, maybe that value focus is, is the right approach in this market. Sounds good. Um, you, you made another recommendation for us as well, which, which wasn't an investment trust. Mm. Um, it was Investco Perpetual Global Targeted Return. What's special about that sure. fund? Well, that's with the, the more cautious investor in mind. Obviously, we're seeing the FTSE 100 index um, back up to a record level. Um, you're seeing institutional investors raising cash weighting. So there's definitely some signs that um, certainly professional investors are starting to be a little bit cautious on the value of the stock market and, and value of assets, partly because QE has ended in the US and interest rates might start to go up in the US and possibly here in the UK. So if you want to take a little bit more of a cautious approach, where do you go? Because if you're worried about the value of stock markets, you really should be wor- worried about the value of bond markets. Bond markets have been more distorted by all the policies of the central banks, um, more so than equity markets. So an alternative would be to buy a fund that has an absolute return st- a strategy. This fund, it's a reasonably new fund uh, from Investco Perpetual, but it, uh, but behind it, previously worked at Standard Life on their Global Absolute Return Strategies Fund, which has been a hugely successful fund. Uh, it invests in essentially in about 30 underlying different trading strategies, each of which aims to add a little bit of return often. So the goal is to produce returns of 5% over and above what you'd get from cash um, and positive returns Um, across all different market environments. So I think for the cautious investor, it might be right to look at a fund like this as opposed to the traditional choice of a bond fund. It's very difficult on those kinds of funds, when they have like 30 different strategies, to fathom exactly what's going on and to really, you know, try and understand what you're investing in. Um, How how much do you think investors need to um, dig down into what the fund manager's doing there? Well, actually... Um, we find that these these firms are actually give very good standards of disclosure as to the different strategies. Take the Standard Life uh, Fund; they quite provide quite detailed inf- information on their website as to the different strategies and how much is allocated into each. But the key thing here is it, 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 these offer incredible diversification. There'll be a strategy in there which perhaps trades the differences between currencies, differences between two equity markets, 
that trades um, differences between two types of fixed income. So you're not overexposed to any one asset class. And I think that's the real attraction is being really diversified and focusing on a little bit of return often across many different areas. Now, we're in quite an unusual um, situation this ISA season with stock markets at, at highs. And I, I wonder if um, a lot of, of um, investors will be thinking, maybe I shouldn't bother and maybe I should go, you know, wait, bide my time and, and not use my ISA allowance this year. What would be your advice there, Jason? Well, we've certainly seen the, the Investment Association, which represents the fund management industry, they revealed their data for fund flows into the industry for sales essentially in January and it showed actually there was a very sharp drop in the amount of uh, uh, business coming in compared to this time last year and perhaps that's a large part of that is because people are nervous about is the market too high. I think there's a couple of things to say there. Firstly, yes, the headline is that uh, the, the FTSE 100 is up to the same levels it was in 1999 at the top of the bubble. Understandably, people may get panicked by that. But do bear in mind that the level of the FTSE isn't in itself a benchmark of value. For example, you would need to adjust for 15 years of inflation. And actually, that would imply you'd need the, the, mark, the FTSE to be about 9,500 points rather than the current level it's at. And in fact, in 1999, on a price earnings basis, which is a measurement of the value of companies, the market was trading at 27 times earnings. It's now about 16. So, yes, Stock markets indices have returned to highs. Yes, um, shares certainly aren't a giveaway bargain at the moment, but we're a long way off at the kind of bubble territory we saw in 1999. And so um, I think the key thing is, um, you know, the ISA allowance is really valuable. Taxes are going up. Two million more of us have been drawn into higher rate tax. Uh, taxes could go up after the election. So don't, don't, don't forego your ISA allowance. It's very precious. If you're nervous about the, the level of the market now, Open your account with cash, drip feed in later or wait till a time when you think the market's better value. Yeah, so it's use it and don't lose it. Yeah. Um, Adrian, what's your what's your general feel about what in, ISA investors are worried about or what they should be doing at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. We saw um, the uh, sort of drop in sales in January, according to the Investment Association, as uh, Jason mentioned. And um, a lot of that was driven by sort of concerns over Europe, concerns in Ukraine, and the start of the political machine in, in the UK. So a lot of fears driving it. Yet in spite of that, the FTSE 100 reached an all-time high again in February. So uh, it's been going against a bit of negativity. And I think the important thing is, you know, it's whether or not there is value there. And, and stock markets in general at the moment across the globe, on the whole, probably all fairly valued. But within that are opportunities, where areas that are looking cheap or looking attractively valued. If we look where we are in the economic cycle... It, it's usually, um, we're probably sort of towards the latter end of the economic cycle, but there's still potentially a year or two's growth and, and, and room for earnings growth in companies to come through. So there's plenty of opportunity for companies, particularly with record low interest rates, uh, really low yields, really low inflation, a fall in the oil price. That could all help boost uh, companies' earnings. So there's definitely going to be opportunities there. I think the key thing I would suggest focusing on is looking for good, strong, active managers who are able to identify those value opportunities and make money from it. You don't have to buy the index. You can buy an active manager who who can beat the index. And there are a few of those around who happen to be exceptional. Okay, great. Um, now, we've talked a lot about our own ISA allowances and what we should be doing with them. Many people will be thinking about their, their children or their grandchildren and their own future and 
there is the not as generous but fairly generous junior ISA allowance to think about, which is um, £4,000. How do you think investing for children differs from investing for yourselves? What are your thoughts, Jason? Well, I think the first thing to say is, certainly with a junior ISA, you're almost certainly going to be taking a very long-term view because the child can't access the money till they're age 18. Mm. And that, you know, up to 18 years is, is inc- clearly an incredibly long amount of time. And actually, what the data shows you is that people who have done junior ISAs, around 70% of them are putting the money in cash. And as we know... Cash is great for a rainy day, but actually to park your money there for a very long period of time, is it, it's an incredibly poor place to put your money because inflation will just eat away the value. So if you're going to use a junior ISA and you're going to invest for the very long term, uh, you really should be able to be prepared to take a bit of risks and invest in the equity market. A lot of people will have gone for tracker fund options because they'll think maybe I, I don't want to risk not beating the market for my child. What do you think about that, Adrian? I think you... you you can, I mean, you can do that, and you'll get a certain amount of return. And shares have clearly beaten uh, cash over the longer term, although be it the longer term and junior ices are there for the longer term. However, I actually like equity income as well, which uh, I think works brilliantly for if you're sort of heading towards retirement, but also for young people starting out because you you don't know where the stock market will be in 18 years' time. Um, great if we did, but we don't. But in the meantime, you can get good quality companies where a management team focus on return for shareholders and uh, really focus on the dividend and it's shown that teams like that and companies run with that focus tend to be better run and tend to be around for the longer term and you can reinvest that money into uh, the junior ISA and they can get a you know a better return and compounded rate and as uh, Einstein said uh, compounded compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world because it is so so powerful um, so I, I think you know have a look around, look for some equity income managers and and get that sort of exposure. And you don't have to stick to the UK. There are some great ones overseas as well now, so you can diversify that across a number of funds. Uh, but active managers, well chosen, will be to the index over the longer term. Um, now, I, I have two children who are, who haven't been able to use junior ISAs up till now. They've had to be in um, child trust funds. And those rules are changing after April, which I'm very pleased about. I can go and move them into a junior ISA. What are the advantages of of moving from a child trust fund into a junior ISA, Jason? Sure. Well, this is an incredible, uh, uh, incredibly attractive opportunity um, for parents who are in that position. Because the problem with the child trust fund market is there are about 6 million child trust fund accounts. And about 4.8 million of those uh, have gone into what are known as stakeholder accounts. Now, these were accounts that the government required managers to offer and probably intended that they would be the sort of default value for money option. And the rule was that you, uh, the fees for a stakeholder account would be no more than 1.5%. But it backfired because nearly every pers- provider is charging the full 1.5%, but they're offering you essentially an index tracker. And 1.5% is a very high fee for an index tracker. So even if those 4.8 million parents wanted to stay in a similar sort of investment, another tracker, by transferring to Junior ISA, they could save these days at least two-thirds of those fees because Junior ISAs um, offer access to 
uh, uh, trackers that have cut their fees in, in the price war we've seen over the last couple of years. So most of those parents could just simply stay in the same type of investment but get a much better deal uh, for their kids. But of course, the other thing about junior ISAs is there's a lot more choice there. You know, within our own junior ISA, there's two and a half thousand funds available. So um, you may decide that you want to do even, even better or indeed... Uh, Whilst the UK index tracker is a perfectly decent investment, the UK is, of course, only one of many markets around the, around the globe. So you might, for, instance, for example, want to choose an investment such as Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust uh, that invests globally, has a great track record, um, but is also very low cost at um, 0.5% ongoing fees. Yeah, that, I know that trust is very popular among Investors Chronicle readers because it's, it's done well and it's got low costs and I don't think it's on too much of a premium at the moment. It's a very small premium, I think. It does trade at a very yeah. very small premium, but of course you could probably uh, justify that to yourselves by the much lower charges you'd pay each year than uh, many other actively managed funds. Great stuff. Now, um, this week, personal finance writer Kate Bealey has been investigating how to buy your ISA cheaply. We all love investing and trying to find the, the investment that's going to turn us into a nicer millionaire. But we also need to control the costs. And costs are the one thing that as an investor you can control. And over the long run, this can make a very big difference to your investments. So, Kate, you've been looking at the um, DIY investment platforms and their costs. What was your experience and what did you find? Um, I think the first thing that struck me is how confusing it is when you're trying to compare platforms in terms of the charges. I mean, there's an absolute multitude of charges involved, um, kind of annual fees, dealing fees, exit fees, closure fees. And um, it's particularly confusing because every platform kind of refers to these differently. So they can be called wrapper fees, um, fund administration fees annual administration fees, and some of those things are the same and some aren't. I think the main thing to look at is the differences between holding stocks and shares and funds, because a lot of platforms charge you differently for those things. So, for example, Barclays Stockbrokers has a wrapper fee and a fund administration fee. Now, if you only hold stocks and shares, you'll be charged both of those things, the wrapper fee being £30 plus VAT, and an admin fee of 35 basis points. But if you only hold funds that you've bought through Barclays, then they will waive that wrapper fee. And then others have a flat rate for both things. So Alliance Trust Savings, £18.75 quarterly charge, whether you hold just funds, just stocks and shares, anything. And then dealing fees are another major thing to consider. So if you're a frequent trader, you're going to incur fees every time you sell a fund or a stock or whatever. And if you're not a frequent trader, not as much of an issue, but some platforms charge quite a lot more than others. Alliance Trust, for example, will charge you £12.50 for any transaction. And then again, a lot of platforms won't charge you if you're just dealing in funds. So those include Hargreaves Lansdowne, Best Invest and TD Direct Investor. So already there, you've got quite a lot of things to think about. Are you wanting to hold a mixture of funds and shares, just one or the other? And how much are you going to be dealing? All of that adds up to to quite a different number. <laughs> so really, you have to think about what sort of investor you are and what your pattern of investing is and whether you're a more inclined to invest in funds, investment trusts or shares and exchange traded funds. So the ones that you're trading, mm. you, you've been trying to narrow down some options for different types of investors, haven't you? What are the 
the cheapest option for someone who's say starting out this year with their mm. um, their ISA? Well, I mean the the absolute kind of cheapest is is maybe iWeb because it's a twenty five pound setup fee and then no annual charge. So that's obviously very un- easy to understand and it is very low cost. There's also a couple of offers around at the moment. AXA, self-investor, is one of the best because it's waived all fees until 2016 and won't charge you to leave. So you could always have it for a year and then and then leave when the fees come in. That's funds only, is it? That and that one? is yes, funds only, yes. so that's something to think about. And Fidelity also offers a year with no fees, but you have to apply before the end of this tax year, so not long term. And again, I think Fidelity's um, funds only on... That's yes, because yeah. that you can either... Well, you can either have funds or stocks and shares, but you can't have both on the same platform. Okay. Now, for for, for a lot of investors who've built up a, a lot of money on, on in their, their ISA and their pension as well across different platforms, should they maybe be thinking about um, moving platforms now? We've seen a lot of movement in the charges over the last couple of years. Can, can it be advantageous to move if you've got a lot of money? I think it can be advantageous to move, but it, you need to think about how difficult it's going to be to exit and to find a new platform and also exit fees. These are quite different for different platforms. Some don't charge any, but a lot of them do. And some charge a kind of flat fee, whereas others will charge you per every line of stock, like Hargreaves Lansdowne. All right, so you've really got to do a bit of research there yourself. Mm, yes. yes. I know it's, t- it's taken you a while to get through your research. <laughs> how, how long did you spend lo- looking into this? I think I spent two solid days of looking at it and, and got a real headache. So it was tricky. But you did reach some very good conclusions, which you can read in the magazine this week. I did. Well, that's been very interesting, Kate. Thank you. Thanks also to my special guests, Adrian Lowcock and Jason Hollands, um, for joining us in the studio today. Now, thank you for listening. Good luck with your ISA decisions. If you want more fun tips and share tips, you can read read lots of them in this week's ISA special issue of Investors Chronicle. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.